If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and everything you need is all in one place, and here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Frank and Jesse James come to Kentucky. Welcome to Uncommon History of the South podcast, where we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history. History is full of curious stories you will never discover in any textbook. We uncover fun facts about historical people, interesting places, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to Uncommon History of the South podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. Harold, before we begin, I want to give a couple of updates. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so make sure you friend us and like us so you can stay up to date with our podcast. And here's here's a new announcement. We're going to start sharing some historical pictures and documents from your personal collection uh, on those platforms. And some of these photographs are unseen, and you'll never be able to find them anywhere else. So you'll have to friend us or like us on these different platforms uh, to see those photos. Also, if you have a question about our podcast, follow the link at the bottom of our page notes. It will take you to our Anchor FM homepage where you can leave us a voice message, and we will try to include it into a future podcast. So if you have a question about any of our past podcasts or would like us to do a podcast on a certain topic, leave us a voice message, and we will try to include it. All right, so Harold, we're going to start with Frank and Jesse James in Kentucky, but I guess we're going to pick up at the end of the Civil War. Yeah, Brian, uh, last week we kind of ended with Quantrill raiding uh, Houstonville, Kentucky, and then we, we kind of got off on a few other things that we want to talk about, but We'll pick this story back up. Uh, I'd like to go ahead and fast forward to the end of the Civil War and what was going on then because we're going to come back and do a thorough uh, podcast on uh, Quantrell and his uh, escapades here in Kentucky. Uh, Frank was with him. Frank James was with him all this time, but Jesse was wounded, and uh, he didn't come to Kentucky during the war. Uh, in June and July of 1865, uh, Jesse had received a wound out there. He got shot in the lung, and the bullet was not possible to get out. Matter of fact, he went to a couple different doctors. One of them told him that he to get his affairs in order, that he wouldn't live. And he was taken to uh, Kansas, uh, North Kansas. Uh, it was a town. It was actually called Harlem then. It's North Kansas now, Kansas City. And... Uh, he was taken out there to, I guess, get away from the heat, from the pressure, uh, keep anyone from finding him, give him a chance to heal. Uh, he nearly died. Okay. Yeah, he nearly died. The wound was pretty bad. Um, and while he was there, uh, he was at his in-laws, uh, or some cousins, I'm sorry, some cousins by the name of Mims. And one of the daughters, uh, Zarelda Mims, they called her Z fell in love with Jesse. She helped take care of him while he was there. So 
that's going to be his future wife. Now, they're not married yet, but secretly they had, had become engaged and didn't tell anybody while he was healing there. And uh, they were taking care of it. They actually moved him to Nebraska, Rolo, Nebraska. His uh, stepdad, Dr. Reuben Samuel, attended him. And he finally got over it. Now, we don't know exactly when that happened, okay? So we know he was down for probably a year. Okay. So he had, he had suffered a pretty severe wound. By the way, when he was, his body was exhumed years later, they did find that bullet, which was in the area of the lung, that he carried with him throughout the rest of his life. Okay. Wow. So uh, Frank surrenders in Kentucky. He's there with Quantrell's men, the remnants of Quantrell's men. Quantrell is uh, captured. He's shot, wounded, and dies in Louisville, Kentucky. And Frank and the remnant of his men uh, surrender at a place called Samuel's Depot. Now, these names Samuel's, you all keeps coming up, and it's there's a reason for that. I think all these Samuel's are connected. Now, they may not be closely connected, but they are connected. And Frank... Uh, meets with a former Confederate by the name of George Hunter. He was with Morgan, and he had worked with the Union authorities to arrange the surrender of the remnants of Quantrell's men. So they had agreed on terms. George Hunter gave the federal authority his word that these men would go home and lead peaceable lives. Now later, Brian, this is going to become an issue, okay? So I want our podcast listeners to remember this because this is this is a story we're going to do about George Hunter. He's later sheriff of Bardstown and this is going to come back later to uh, to haunt us. So okay. We're, we're uh, going, looking forward we're to it. We're going to look forward to that. But uh, anyway, they arranged the surrender. Uh, the agreed, terms was agreed on and they surrendered. Now, Frank didn't leave Kentucky very quickly. He kind of hang on. Of course, he had a lot of kin folks here and people, but um, he eventually leaves Kentucky, goes back to the home place of Missouri. And then we fast forward a little. Well, let's talk about a little bit about martial law in Kentucky. It was lifted on October the 2nd, 1865. Not necessarily a good thing. Um, the guerrilla problem had gotten so bad that martial law actually had helped somewhat, but when they lifted it, it, it made it worse. Now, Kentucky's first military appointed governor was a fellow by the name of uh, General Stephen Burbage and Burbage had a bad practice of retaliation for guerrilla killings and if, if Confederate guerrillas came into a town and they killed uh, a citizen or a, a soldier General Burbage would go to a, the Confederate prison in Ohio and take two innocent prisoners out that had nothing to do with it bring them to the town where the atrocity happened, and publicly execute them. Wow. Yeah. And I think there's over 100 that have been done that way. Um, there are, there's a, I, I have found several graves. I've been to several towns and looked these guys up. And, and um, it's, it's kind of a, it's amazing that that was going on. I think when President Lincoln found out about it, he, he stopped it immediately. He fired Burbage, and he put uh, John Palmer in charge, General Palmer in charge for the remainder of the war, which wasn't too long. But at the end of the war, General Burbage had made so many enemies. He, he was from Logan County, Kentucky, and he had to leave the state for his own safety. Wow. So it, it had gotten that bad that he, even he couldn't stay in Kentucky. So anyway, we're going to move on. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the members of the James Gang. 
Um, there are so many now. We're probably leaving some out, okay? I don't think this is a complete list. I think it's only a partial list, and I don't know if anybody knows that's alive today exactly who was where and when. But here are some names that you're going to keep hearing if you do any research at all on these guys. Uh, there was the three younger brothers, Jim, Cole, and Bob. There was John Jurette, who, by the way, had family in Nelson County, Kentucky, around Bloomfield. Okay. Arthur McCoy, George Shepard, Oliver Shepard, they call him all, William McDaniel, Clell Miller, Charlie Pitts, Bill Chadwell, Bill Ryan, Dick Little, Little Archie Clements, Bud, and Donnie Pence. And those are two names we might want to remember. Yes. That'll come up later. Okay. So we'll th- those are the those are the pretty much the known members. There may be some others that we're leaving out, and I may have just missed one. You know, these things are uh, how it works. Uh, and I'm sure there were people that were with them, and then would pull out, maybe be, you know, at a ro- one robbery and no longer with them. So they kind of come and go. Yeah, I, I think the youngers were probably with them longer and more consistently than any of the others. But I would even say they were at all the robberies and things they did. So uh, we really don't know. I know they were in Kentucky with them, and uh, they're, they're, they're probably more and more robberies than any others. And, of course, that famous uh, failed robbery in Minnesota, where, which ended them in prison and getting caught, but right. that's a whole other podcast there. Uh, the first, we, I want to talk about, even though this is not Kentucky, and we're not necessarily limiting our podcast to Kentucky, but this is the title of this one is The James is in Kentucky, but... I think it's important for us to know the first, actually, they call it daylight peacetime bank robbery. <laughs> so, so you know, there was probably some banks broke in at night and money stolen. And there was probably some banks that were robbed during the war and, you know, and used the war as a, a reason for doing it and so forth. But this is, I think, the first brazen attempt during daylight to rob a bank. It was in February 13, 1866 in Liberty, Missouri. And uh, there was about 10 to 13 men came into town. They were wearing Federal Union overcoats. It was cold. It was February. And they rode up to the Clay County Savings Bank. Now, three of them had staked out watching the roads. And, Brian, here's, I think, another misconception that we have, or maybe we just don't think about these things because they're details that we just don't ever occur to us. It does me, but... uh, they they didn't just ride up to a bank and go in and rob it. You know, there was some planning involved. So they put a little thought into it. They just Oh yeah, they went into the bank. They probably went in and cashed some, you know, change, got change for a $5 bill or uh, maybe I don't know, maybe wrote a check or whatever. They cashed the place out. So they cased it before oh, they Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, they cased it. They they had a had rode around the town. They knew where people gathered. They knew what to avoid. They knew how to escape, how, what's the quickest way out. They don't, you know, you, it's like a town that maybe had only one bridge. Right. You, would, you wouldn't want to pick that bank because they could block that bridge and you'd be in trouble, right? Exactly. Just things like that. They, th- they thought through a lot of this. So it's not as uh, spontaneous as it sounds because we just don't know all the details of their planning. But they did a lot of planning, yeah. Okay. And a lot of times when they left the bank, they would go north to go south or go south to go north. They would throw... A posse off, they would go the opposite direction they were actually planning to go just to give them, mislead them into thinking they were going a totally different way. But anyway, uh, they go into the bank, 
there was a, a father and son there uh, by the name of Bird. They were cashiers. Um, they uh, they they robbed him. I think they got was it six hundred dollars, I believe. Uh, and they put the two people in the vault and got the money out, left, and they didn't get the vault locked. And by the time they got on their horses and started to ride away, the guys come running out and hollering about the robbery. And then there was a, there was a young guy standing over on the sidewalk by the name of George Wymore. And he was a student at William Jewell College. And they shot and killed him because he was hollering that the bank was being robbed. Okay. Now, Rufer, remember that Robert James was a trustee at William Jewell College. Right, their dad. Their dad, yeah. So, anyway, this, this, it's kind of an irony that this kid who went to their, you know, this college and there was some loose connection there, but anyway. So that was supposedly the first daylight bank robbery that happened. Okay. So... You ready to go to Kentucky? Yeah, let's let's. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to hear about Kentucky. Well, the Jameses had, you know, as we talked about family in Kentucky, they had family in Adairville, Kentucky. Now, Russellville is not really close to Adairville. I don't know how far it is, but it's a good piece. But um, it's a good staging place. Uh, you got to remember, these guys traveled a lot of miles, and uh, they they didn't think a thing about getting on a horse riding. 7,500 miles. Was that a day? Could they do 7,500 miles? In the, no. How, what, how, 25 miles a day on I'm a horse? I'm thinking, or? about 20. Okay. I'm thinking about 20. you got to remember, horses wear out. Yes. You know, horses got to rest. Horses got to be fed and uh, watered. And I think probably 20 miles a day would be a good 20, 25 miles a day. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but that sounds a reasonable amount to me. I think I've heard that somewhere before. Um March the 30th, 1868, again, this is an early spring, maybe late winter day. It was fairly warm. Um, the Russellville Bank was located on 6th and Main Street, and the name of it was the Nimrod Long Bank. It was built in 1858 at a cost of $50,000 and was t um, touted as one of the strongest banks in Kentucky. Now, I don't think that meant that it had more iron bars and vaults than any other bank in Kentucky. I think it meant financially strong. Okay. It had so. solid assets and a lot of deposits. Had a good customer base, probably. Now, again, about noon, you'll notice these banks are always hit about noon. Okay. About 1230, four men approached the bank. Um, Excuse me. Eight men approached the bank. There was a four in four different ways they came in. They didn't just come riding all together. They came in from four different directions. Now there was some stories say that Jesse had been there the day before, or two before, and tried to cash a, a bill, and they, the cashier told him that it was counterfeit and wouldn't cash it. Okay. So they kind of know that they've been in there, kind of casing the place out. And so they had, again, this is one of those deals. They didn't just ride up that day. They had been planning it so that, you know, obviously they came in from four different directions, so that tells right. you something. So they came in shooting. Uh, they didn't come in quietly. Kind of a different attack. I don't know. I'm not sure I understand that. So they changed up their tactics for, for this one. Right. Uh, people ducked, and wh whoever was on the street uh, on, around the bank in the little town there, they all started ducking for cover. There was a nine-year-old girl there named Jenny Pruitt. And she started running. 
and a woman called out to her, uh, Jenny, get off the street, you're going to get shot. And he said one of the robbers turned to the lady and said, we're here to rob the bank. We're not here to shoot children. <laughs> so, okay. And the little well, girl. that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, the little girl just stopped in her tracks, and we're going to give her account of what happened here in just a minute. Uh, two men entered the bank. Um, the president, Nimrod Long, was there. Um, he, uh, he struggled a little bit with one of them. They pointed a pistol at him, and he grabbed it. And he struggled with the guy, and it went off, and it grazed his scalp. It didn't severely wound him. It just grazed his scalp, but the bullet hit the wall and made a, a place in the concrete wall there. Wow. And so if you go to that bank today, they say you can see that bullet is well preserved, wow. <laughs> well preserved there where it took a chunk out of the wall. Um, and then, uh, and they said it was Jesse that probably done this, actually was the was the main one that came in that bank. Uh, the other robber moved toward the, the lobby. Um, there was another guy there, tried to escape. Um, or, excuse me, let's see. Yeah, there was another guy there, tried to escape. Now, um, I want to read Miss Jenny's account of what happened there that day, if you'll bear with me just a second. All right. Now, this is what she said uh, when she was nearly 80 years old. She said, I looked in the window of the bank and saw a man with a gun against Mr. Hugh Barclay's head. He was the cashier. I clearly remember a fine-looking man coming through the door from Mr. Long's office. After the shot was fired, he was wearing a black hat with a feather on the side, and he looked like the pictures I'd seen of Jesse James. <laughs> and fortunately for Mr. Barclay, who was not shot, he stood perfectly still as the bandit scooped up the cash and the only other person in the bank, a former uh, excuse me, a farmer named Simmons who stood perfectly still as the two men dashed out the front door. So wow. that's an eyewitness to a bank. That's kind of how it went down. Probably was they weren't in there more than 10, 15 minutes. And thankfully, no one was killed, and Mr. Long was just scalp wound and lived to tell these stories for many years, probably. Um, now, what's interesting about <laughs> This is kind of the devil-may-care attitude that you see these guys had. As they was riding out of town, Jesse spotted the weather vane over the courthouse, which is a fish-shaped weather vane, you know. And So he just took his pistol and drawed it and shot a hole in it and left <laughs> it spinning as he went out of town. <laughs> now, that's something you would see in the movies. Yes. Now, that, that, would, that would be a good movie part. And uh, anyway, they, they saved that uh, weather vane, by the way. And they said it, the, the account I had of the new bank, or excuse me, new courthouse that was built in 1955, that they put the weather vane in it and preserved it for posterity's sake to remember old Jesse by. Well, did anybody get caught during this robbery? Or yep. Um, well, they got. There's different estimates of how much money they got. Nine. I've got nine thousand thirty-five dollars and ninety-two cents is the most published number. I have read accounts that said it got as much as fourteen thousand dollars. So there was a posse formed. Um, they took after them, uh, got them up into, chased them all toward Logan County, and the trail gets cold. They just lost them. It's hard to So track. nobody got caught during this. Yeah. Thing. Tracking people in Kentucky is different than like out west in the desert or something like that, like we see in the movies. Right. Um, if the ground's hard and there's grass, there's not a whole lot you can see in some cases. So it, it gets a little harder. Now, if you're out in the sand in the desert or something like that, it's not as difficult to track because 
obviously, you know, you, you see it print more clearly. There was indict, uh, indictments handed down. Now, they got the names kind of wrong because they went by the names that the guys had called themselves, and they probably did this to throw them off. And I don't know exactly how they got the names they got, but anyway, we know who they were. Uh, J.W. Shepard, and then there was a G.W. Smith, who was Jesse James. Okay. Thomas Coleman, who was Cole Younger. John Dawson, who was Frank James, and Oliver Shepard. And uh, anyway, all Shepard was captured later in Nelson County. He had bought a house and got married, supposedly with his share of that money that he got from that bank. And uh, they uh, they were afraid, once they arrested him and charged him with this bank robbery, then they got afraid that the gang would come and break him out of jail. So they didn't want to leave him in Logan County Jail, so they transferred him to Louisville in a more secure jail. Okay. And then it took a year for them to get him to trial. So a year later, almost within a few days, they had the trial, and they found him guilty. He got three years in prison. They went after his brother, who was J.W. Shepard, and they tried to arrest him in Missouri, and he put up a resistance, and they shot and killed him. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there was some repercussions from this bank robbery. Um, let's see. After they left the... Uh, the Russellville Bank, they probably went to Adair County, Adair, excuse me, Adairville, not Adair County, Adairville. They're uh, the home of Major George Height, who was, uh, his wife was an aunt to the James boys. And there's a story there that they hid out in a cave in front of this house. And by the way, the house, the Height home in Adairville is still there. Really? I've been there a couple times. It's privately owned and. uh it's well known in that area. Anybody, if you want to see it, you'd probably stop there and ask. Somebody would point the way to you. Adairville is a really small town. And uh, it's a pretty historic place. The Jameses were there a lot. And, uh, you know, in, in, from their childhood on until their whole lives, they were there a lot. Strong connections. Strong connections. That was their father's side of the family, you okay. remember. And there was this cave there, and supposedly they would hide out in this cave. Now, I'm not a believer, Brian, of cave stories. Let me okay. tell you why. Frank said he never wanted to go anywhere or stay anywhere. There wasn't a good back door. Okay. Readily accessible. Okay. So a cave, I think, is one of the worst places you could try to hide because you're trapped. If there's only one way in, there's only going to be one way out. Well, honey, there's not a cave in Kentucky that the James boys haven't hid out in. Yeah. And I don't know if that's... I, more I, folklore. I legend. Again, more folklore, yes. Uh -huh. Now, there was a... There was a story about Jesse returning some of the money from this bank. Now, why? Why would a bank robber return money? Now, I don't, I don't believe, I don't think this is correct, and but I wouldn't say never to anything because I don't know. Uh, these things are really hard to prove or disprove either one. But anyway, I'd like to read you this again. This 1914 article said that a devout worker. In his church, Robert James later went to Georgetown College, Georgetown, Kentucky, where he studied for the ministry. While there, he assisted financially by George W. Norton, founder of the brother Eckstein Norton, president of the 
Elliden Railroad from 1886 to 1891, and Nimrod Long, who bought the bank from Norton, uh, who was robbed many years by the uh, by the James Gang, and a young student was. Uh, excuse me. Let me read this again. Nimrod Long, who bought the bank from Norton and who was to be robbed many years later by the sons of the young student they had aided. Okay. It has been reported that when Jesse discovered that Nimrod Long was his father's benefactor in earlier years, he returned his share of the money from the Russellville Bank. So he did, even though he was a bank robber, he had a conscience. If you believe that. I don't know that I believe that. But that is out there, and if someone knows, somebody may know if that's true or not. But it, okay. I'd love to know if it is. But it's an interesting story. It, uh, the connections, like I said, are, are kind of an irony, isn't it? It is. So we're going to move on to Columbia, Kentucky. So this would be their third bank robbery? Second bank. Second bank. Well, third. third. Well, Second in Kentucky, but third second overall. Second in Kentucky, and I don't have many overall. Oh, so okay. I don't, I'm, I'm not putting the others in chronological order. Okay, so we know it's the second bank in Kentucky for Uh sure. Okay. Now, um, this happened April the 29th, 1872. Guess what time, Brian? What time? (laughs) Around 1 (laughs) o'clock in the afternoon. They're all right around lunch, okay? Okay. Now, depending on what, what you you know, that's pretty close to the time zone, so it could have been 12, you know, 1, whatever. Uh, But anyway, five men rode quietly into town, Frank and Jesse, uh, and the Youngers, basically, it was who it was, the three Youngers, uh, Bob, Cole, and Jim Younger, and Frank and Jesse. Now, Columbia is not too far from Adairville either, and it's also close to Bardstown. So I think they came from Adairville to Columbia, and then after the bank robbery, we'll see that they moved on toward uh, Bardstown or Bloomfield, that area, Nelson County, Kentucky. Okay. They in, they, there was five people in the bank. There was a Judge James Garnett, Major T.C. Winfrey, W.H. Hudson, and James Page. And the cashier was a fellow by the name of R.A.C. Martin. Okay? Okay. Now, this is, this is a, a dark chapter in their bank robberies because they bust into this bank immediately, um, stuck a pistol at, at Judge Garrett, um, he grabbed it and it and it, it went off without hitting him. They shot Martin immediately. R.A.C. Martin. Now, the 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 they some said that he was going for a gun. That's the reason they shot him. Some says he just moved too quick and 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 then startled him. Startled him and he shot him. And then some says that Jesse accidentally shot him. He really didn't mean to shoot him. He was just going to shoot to warn him. And he moved in the way or something in the excitement of the moment. He actually shot him. Well, the problem with that was. Brian, he's the only guy that could open the vault. Uh, so no money. So what happened was they drug him over to the vault and tried to get him to open it, and he evidently died before. I mean, he was you know he was wounded that seriously that he didn't he did he died before they could get the get the vault open. And so they just grabbed the money in the cash box and took off, which was about six hundred dollars. Okay. So they didn't get a lot of money, and they were not in a good mood, and a guy lost his life over this. Yeah. Um, there was a guy out in the street that fired back at him. Um, he, he, he just had a little pistol in his hand as they was leaving. Uh, he shot at him, and he, he had to get out. He had to run because he didn't have much firepower, and he was outnumbered tremendously, and a, a lot of firepower coming back at him. 
Now, they escaped south through town, and uh, they went to a place called Pettit's Fork, which is approximately a mile south. And then, again, they went south to go north. Right. So they went south, and they turned back north. And when they turned back north, they passed, they, they approached the property of a, of a guy named William Conover. And uh, anyway... <laughs> Is it, there was a place there called Conover's Mill. Evidently, he had a grist mill there. He had a big farm. And uh, so <laughs> they approached William Conover on his farm there, and they had, they needed to get through the gate. Now, you got, you know, these five bandits right up. Now, he don't know who they are. He hasn't got a clue. Or, or what type of day what, they're having. What kind of day <laughs> they're having. He doesn't know anything about them. Bless his heart. He's just there. And he they wrote it to him and told him, said, open the gate. They were in a hurry. And he looked up at him. He said, well, boys, if you want the gate open, you get off your horse and open it yourself. <laughs> That's the wrong answer. Wrong answer wrong to answer. the James gang. He said, Jesse took a pistol in his face, and he said, by God, I said, open the gate. <laughs> and he said, why, sure, boys, no problem. I'll open the gate. Yeah. Nothing to change your mind and attitude with the, right. like having a pistol stuck in your face. And then there's another story says that he had his – farm a guy helping him on the farm opened the gate and that kind of saved face maybe later yeah but there was about six or eight william conovers in that area okay uh-huh. so to distinguish him from the others they call him <laughs> open the gate conover <laughs> so bless his heart he got stuck with the nickname open the gate conover for the rest of his life now another interesting story about this robbery was well that's not it's it's kind of a sad thing too um they moved R.E.C. Martin, uh, he was from Shelbyville, Kentucky, by the way, and I found his grave in the Shelbyville Cemetery. And uh, they were taking him back home to be buried, and they left uh, Columbia about 9 o'clock at night, and they said all the churches went to their, you know, got their bells, and they all rang their bells as they was procession leading him out of town. I thought that was a neat thing to do, tribute to him. Um posse was formed they went after him uh the gang basically circled back north headed toward nelson county where else you know right so that was the end of the the columbia bank robbery there was a warrant issued for jesse and james and the youngers the total robbery was only about six hundred dollars seems to be a common number for these guys in the yeah it didn't get a lot there it was kind of a a man lost his life and they got six hundred dollars and uh, a day that Adair uh, County will never forget in the little town of Columbia, Kentucky. Um, next thing, if we want to move on from the bank robberies, uh, Brian, I'd like to talk a little bit about two of the gang members, Donnie and Bud Pitts. Their name comes up a lot during, you know, uh, with uh, Quantrell and the James gang. or So, yeah, I think that would be... Yeah, their proper names was Alexander Donovan Pence was Donnie's name, and Thomas Edward Pence was Bud's name. Uh, now, ironically, they grew up in Missouri across the road on a farm in, by the Jameses. Okay. So they, were, they were neighbors. Okay. And another irony here is they were almost exactly the same age, two brothers and two brothers. They were, I don't remember which one was which, but one right. was about Frank's age and one was about Jesse's age. So... You can imagine it's probably childhood friends. friends I mean, they grew who up, played together, play, exactly. and no, no doubt. They both came to Kentucky with Quantrell, 
They both had family connections here. Um, and they both surrendered at Samuel's Depot with Frank in 1865. Now, um, there was a, uh, the reason they were at Samuel's Depot, there was a guy there by the name of Wilson Samuels, and he had two daughters. Uh-huh. So the Pence boys. So the plot thickens. Yeah, the Pence boys <laughs> were there also for the girls, right. which they would later marry. And by the way, uh, the Pence boys are buried there at Stoner's Chapel Cemetery at Samuel's Depot. I found their graves along with their wives, and uh, they stayed there the rest of their life, basically. But Donnie was elected um, sheriff of Nelson County, and Bud was a deputy there for a while. uh, And I think Bud also had another office that wasn't sheriff when he got older. Um, Maybe it was PVA or something like that later. Uh, but Bud was elected sheriff of Taylorsville, Kentucky. So when the Jameses would, things would get hot on them, when Donnie was sheriff of Nelson County, guess what? They come to Nelson County, their old buddy. What a better place to hide out with was with the sheriff. If you're an outlaw, who would think to go look at the sheriff would be harboring a fugitive? Well, there wasn't, it wasn't just a, a neighborhood friendship there that tied them together. I believe it was Donnie who rescued Frank one time when he was in a battle during the Civil War, a guerrilla raid, and his horse got down on him. And he would have been killed if it hadn't been for Donnie risking his life to rescue him. And Frank swore allegiance to him from that day forward. I mean, they, they were lifetime friends because he saved his life. Wow. You know, so that's that's another aspect of that story that um, not many people probably know about. Now, there's a there's a real interesting story about the Jameses coming to visit Bardstown. It fits somewhere in here after these bank robberies, and there was two people that were really after them. Uh, I told you we'd bring the name up of uh, of uh, George Hunter, and George was the sheriff of Bardstown. It's kind of keep, hard to keep all these names straight. Yes. George was the sheriff of Bardstown. Donnie was the sheriff of Nelson County. Bardstown is the seat of Nelson County, the government seat there. Okay. So then there was a Louisville detective named Delos Yankee Bly. That's D-E-L-O-S, Delos Yankee Bly. Uh, he had came down from Connecticut or somewhere uh, to Louisville. He was a bricklayer by trade, hard-carried, odd-jobbed. And he got into law enforcement, and next thing you know, he became a really good detective. And he had solved a lot of cases, counterfeit cases and stuff, so he built up a reputation. So the, they had assigned him to the James gang to try to capture the James boys. Okay. So the James boys come to visit Bardstown with their old buddy Donnie, and they go in the Bardstown Hotel to eat. Okay? So they're, they're in this, they're, the hotel's in the, in the front, and you go back in the back, and there's a... There's a uh, Dining area. Dining area, and I guess the kitchen on back. Well, as they were sitting there eating, there was a young boy that knew them and was pretty enamored with them, I think, and he knew Donnie Pence really well. And uh, he he noticed that, well, his name was Ben Johnson. He was later a congressman. But as a young boy, he he was witness to this. Wow. He noticed that he saw Yankee Bly and George Hunter coming down the street, walking toward the motel. So he decided to go warn the boys, the James boys, that they were out there. So he did. And uh, Jesse and Frank sat there a few minutes. 
And they looked at one another and they said, we don't go out the back door for anybody. We're going in, our horses are in the front. We're going out the front. We're not going out the back. Now, this is just like a Western movie. I can see this. Yes. Coming down, just like you'd see, you know, well, here's a standoff. We got Lanky Bly and George Hunter standing there. And they said that Jesse came out first from the back room to the front room. There was a door there, and he walked out. He said he had both hands under his coat crossed, hands on his pistols, walking toward the door. Okay. I said he stopped right in the center of the room, stared, stared down Yankee Bly and George Hunter, and said he just looked at him. And said he walked right on out and got on his horse. He said a few minutes, here come Frank, doing the same thing. Got on his horse, and they rode away. And then, of course, later, you know, we're going to find out a lot about George Hunter because I have his unpublished manuscript of his life and his exploits as a lawman. But he don't talk about that. But <laughs> he don't want to go there. He didn't talk about the time that he decided the juice was not going to be worth the squeeze he, with the James brothers. He said, I thought maybe that there would be some innocent people, and probably so, right. would get hurt. And he said, I decided to wait for a better time and place. Uh, yes. But that was a, I thought that was a neat story <laughs> of them is. being right there and had their chance and just let them walk. But they were definitely there. Now, there's some also some stories about them shooting a, um, a painting or a, what do you call it, a mural that's painted Talbert Tavern there. I've been there. Uh-huh. And most of us have. And I know it suffered a fire here some years ago and so forth. And I was there long before the fire many times. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, they were supposedly bullet hole shot and Jesse got drunk and shot the mural up, you know. Um, I think everybody liked to believe that's true. Yes. I, I have no, the only reason I, I would question it is that he, I don't know if he'd really want that much attention drawn to him. You know, even if the story's not true, that's still a neat place to go see and have dinner. Oh, yeah, it's a great place. One of Kentucky's treasures, I yes. think. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's as, how old is it? Uh, late 1700s, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. it's there's a lot of things that happened in the formation of Kentucky and history that took place in that tavern. Yeah, and you know, Bardstown was voted one of the most beautiful towns in America, and, and I think the beautiful, most beautiful town in Kentucky. And uh, it's a wonderful place. I've always loved Bardstown. It's a great Civil War museum there. Um, there's great restaurants there. There's a great golf course there. There's some really neat things in Bardstown, Kentucky. It's a so great Talbert Tavern, you're welcome for the free advertising. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. <laughs> but it is a great place. Yeah. Yes, it is a great place. Now, um, in the 1920s and 30s, there was a lot of pretenders that that uh, <laughs> people that claimed to be Jesse James. Next podcast, we're going to get into one because he's got a little bit longer of a story. But there was, back then, it's like, um, I can kind of imagine it's like a traveling circus would come to town. Right. They would call them tent shows. Okay. And they'd have magicians and, you know, people doing circus acts and all kinds of things. Wild West shows. And a lot of chickens would go missing during this time when they come to town. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people would go visit. They take off with the show. Yeah, yeah. And Wild West shows, you know, shooting exhibitions and all these things carnival atmosphere and uh, in columbia kentucky there was a one of those tent shows came to came came down and there was this guy that claimed to be jesse james okay okay (laughs) (laughs) now he picked the wrong place to do this because (laughs) i mean this is pretty much his hometown this area you know this part of kentucky he was well known 
Well, there was a marshal there named Evan Aiken that uh, he didn't think he was. He he had a arrest warrant for Jesse James for murder and bank robbery. So he <laughs> he he didn't think he was funny. So he approached the guy and said, "I have a piece of yellow paper here that's an arrest warrant for Jesse James." And he said, "If you are Jesse James, you are under arrest." But he said, if you're not, you've got 10 minutes to get out of town. <laughs> and the guy said, Marshal, I can do better than that. I can be out in five. <laughs> he was no gone. Time. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, he went. But it, it's, it's strange that, the, that these people, you know, uh, it, it's another thing about the Jameses. And I guess, like Elvis, we don't accept the fact that Elvis was died and, you know, uh, imposters of all these right. famous people, you know. And it's the same way it went on with the Jane. It went on for years. It went on for years. And um, like I said, at the end of this, the last podcast, we're going to produce some evidence that's going to be pretty much uh, inconclusive that it was Jesse that was killed that, that day in St. Joseph. And I'm looking forward to it. Dime, okay, we talked in the last podcast about the Dime Store novels. You did a little research Yep. I want to talk about it real quick. Yeah, according to one source, there was 450 different dime novels that was published on the Jameses. Wow. Did they receive any income from this or just whoever oh, no. wrote those? Oh, so, they didn't get a penny. Right. Okay. They couldn't. Right. Well, you couldn't find them. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was no way they could be attached to anything. You know, um, we're going to talk about their life next podcast. We're going to get into little details about their family life and what it was like to be one of those guys and how they had to live. Uh, with uh, with constantly looking over your shoulder and so forth. Another phenomenon about the Jameses was that uh, the places they stayed, you know, there is not hardly, when I was just looking here, it, in Kentucky, you know, from Pikeville to Pulaski County, from Logan County to Warren County, and the other states, Florida, Texas, Missouri, Iowa, New York, Tennessee, West Virginia, Alabama, Every cave in the country, every <laughs> house, somebody in somebody's family says, well, you know, Jesse and Frank James stayed here, don't you? Yeah. You know, so I don't know if you know this or not, Brian, or we talked about it, but there's more markers, historic markers put up to the Jameses other than Abraham Lincoln than any other American. I didn't know that. Now, that is really uh, interesting to me. Here we got a couple common outlaws now. I mean, you know, they're they're. I mean, they were notorious. I mean, they murdered people. They robbed right. banks. They they were not out robbing from the poor and giving or robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. Uh, they were, you know, doing all this for themselves. Right. And how did they develop such a a following or a loyalty or, you know, why were they looked at as heroes? It's still amazing to me because. Um, even after they were dead and gone, and their supporters were dead and gone. Uh, Hollywood picks up the stories, and next thing you know, you know, I, I don't know. Well, I'm still going to have to watch the one that um, Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. I'm going to yeah, have I'm to sure, find that I'm one. I'm sure you get a lot of historical content <laughs> right. from that one. I want to tell you one little quick story about the places they stayed and places they went and stuff. There's uh, Samuel's Depot down on, in near Nelson County, Kentucky. There's Hunter's Depot there, which was George Hunter's father that's right down about a mile or two from Samuel's Depot. And then you go on down, there's a little railroad stop called Dietzville, and there's a church there. I think it's called Salem Baptist Church, I believe. 
And Frank, when he came back in his older years to visit people in that community, he had a lot of friends, lifelong friends. Next week, by the way, I'm going to read a letter that he wrote the night that Quantrell was shot that probably no one's ever heard before about his stay there. But anyway, he helped teach Sunday school, believe it or not, at Deathful Baptist Church. Yeah. Wow. His later years. And he always, when he come to visit, they always, you know, that it was a planned thing there. So the Sunday school class, they had to turn all the chairs around because he couldn't stand with his back to the door. He could not concentrate to have a Sunday school class because of, he never got, still lived in fear of somebody coming in shooting him in the back. He never got out of that mindset. His whole life <laughs> okay. never did. Um, by the way, um, I want to read you a quote from uh, Homer Croy's book called "Jesse James Was My Neighbor," and uh, it, it, it's kind of quick here. We'll try to get it as fast as we can here. It says in this valuable book, "Jesse James Was My Neighbor," Homer Croy acts. Excuse me. Uh, sits down dozens of such stories and identifies the speakers. You, you, yet he declares, I am not putting in this book any uh, legends or folk tales, failing to recognize that these word-of-mouth narratives bear the unmistakable imprint of folklore. They invariably portray Jesse as a kind and generous, intrepid and uncanny, and they contain most improbable incidents in his role as humanitarian, Jesse saves a Negro boy from a mob, releases a captured Union soldier who had come home to see his mother, refuses to rob a preacher, gives a poor widow $800 to pay off a skinflint mortgage holder, whom Jesse promptly robs as soon as the widow pays him. <laughs> okay. So he does do things for others then? It depends on the source. Um, okay. It depends on who you read. Now, that story about him... Uh, it, it, what happened was that him and Frank was riding, and it supposedly happened here in Kentucky, and I think southern Kentucky, so probably around the Daresville or whatever. Right. And he had ridden up to this. You know, back then, there were no restaurants. Hotels were very sparse. Right. So what people did, they would there was houses that were known to feed people, like travelers. You'd pull up and say, hey, we'd like to have a meal if you got there about noon or at supper time or whatever, you know. You'd pay them 50 cents or a quarter, and they would feed you. And they, some of them would even put you up for the night if they had the room. So they rode up to this house and asked for to, to, to eat supper. And so she invited them in, and they, they were eating. And they asked, where's your husband? And she said, well, he was killed during the war. And she had a couple children there. And so they kind of picked up on the fact this lady's having a hard time. And so she they kept asking her some questions, and she said that, she had a, had a mortgage, had a banker coming tomorrow that was going to foreclose on her, and she didn't have the money to, to pay her mortgage. And so they said, well, what if we give you the money, and, but one, one thing you've got to do, and that you've got to get a receipt from him. We will give you the money to pay off this mortgage, but you've got to get a receipt from him. So she said, well, sure. And they said, we'll get our money back. Don't worry about that. So sure enough, the next day, the banker came. She handed him the money and sh totally shocked him because he didn't have any idea this lady. Right. He, he thought he was home free, you know, right. this one. So he takes the money, writes her. She said, I've got to have a receipt from you right now in writing. 
And so he wrote her a receipt, and he wrote, he left, rode, <laughs> rode about a half a mile, and heard Frank Jesse pop out and stick a gun in his face and relieve him of his cash, smack him on the back, tell him have a good day. So, you know, if... So the receipt really wasn't for them, it was oh, for no, her. No, it was for her so, so she, she could, could prove, prove that she, she paid, paid him. him the money, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that story's out there. Is it true? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I want it to be, but uh, I don't know. All right, well, that wraps it up. Uh, We'll be back next week with uh, part three of uh, Frank and Jesse James in Kentucky. Thank you for listening to Uncommon History of the South podcast, where we discover uncommon facts about uncommon history. Uh, Make sure you friend us on Facebook, like us on uh, Twitter, follow us on Twitter, um, so you can keep up with our updates. And and remember, we'll be posting some pictures uh, on those platforms. Um, So we'll see you next week.